Today on the Chattering Hour, I'm joined by Paul T. Taylor. Just like many actors have played Michael, Freddy, or Jason in horror franchises, Paul took over the iconic role of Pinhead in Hellraiser in 2018's Hellraiser Judgment. He drops by to talk about what it means to an actor to play such a vicious villain, and much more. Up next on the Chattering Hour, Paul T. Taylor. And we're back with my special guest, Paul T. Taylor. Paul is a highly successful actor with a career on stage, TV and film. On stage, he's appeared on Broadway, on TV in the series The Purge, and on film in Sin City and Soul Men. He also has an extraordinary collection of horror toys and memorabilia. Paul, thank you very much indeed for joining me here today. Absolutely, Nick. It's my it's my privilege and my, I love it. I haven't talked to you in so long. <laughs> I know. I was just trying to think, I think presumably the first time I met you was in Texas. Is that right? Yes, it was the 30th anniversary of the original Hellraiser. And you were there with uh, Simon and Barbie and Doug and Clive. And you came to the, you came to a screening of the yeah. movie and there was a Q and a before. So I met you in the bar I met the, the whole gang of you in the bar and we said hello for a little while. And then they were like, come on, let's go. And I had bought a ticket. I'm like, I'm going to sit in the front row and I'm going to, I'm going to Q and a the shit out of this and, and, uh, and, and watch the movie. And it was fun. It was, and then all weekend we, we sort of hung out at your, t- at our tables. It was what a weekend. Yeah. So yes, yeah. that's when we met. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that'll be Texas Frightmare. Texas Frightmare. Texas Frightmare, yes. The last time I was there, it's just such a wonderful experience. It really was. It really was. And I think think the only reason I was there was because it was the 30th anniversary of Hellraiser. So thank you, (laughs) whoever made that decision. Yeah. Of course, I wasn't seated with you guys, but I was just adjacent, and that was fine. You were nearby. You were nearby. I was was pinhead adjacent. (laughs) So, gosh, yes. Yeah. So let me take you right back, if I may, um, all the way back to where did you grow up? I grew up in Hutchinson, Kansas, United States of America. Yes. Right. 67501 was my zip. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was a lovely, a lovely little town, you know. Uh, I always say, you know, people ask me how big it was. And I was like, well, there were three movie theaters. So that's that's how big the city was wasn't really a city was sort of a city close to wichita anyway my dad did community theater and he was a dentist he'd put himself through dental school my mother was like all i want to do is get married and have the perfect family and so i i was very lucky you know things have changed over the years not so sure about bringing kids into the world now it's crazy Mm. i feel so lucky that i grew up when and where i did even though I had moments in my life when I was like, why wasn't I born into a movie star family in Los Angeles or, or New York why, or, or even Chicago? Why? Anyway, yeah, I am who I am because of, you know, all that stuff. So, so that's, so, yeah. So what long was answer, the, huh? No, no. <laughs> Shorter than some. Um, uh, <laughs> what was a fun day for you as a kid? Staying inside. Didn't like going outside um, unless I went to the neighborhood swimming pool. That was fun. But um, playing with, uh, I could call them action figures, but they were actually dolls. Playing with dolls was good. I'm just completely outing myself as a doll player. And uh, that sort of turned into action figures over the years. But uh, at the time, there weren't action figures. Um, playing dress up or whatever, you just, just kind of going to this crazy place where I, 
you know, wear my parents' clothes or, or, or get into my mother's makeup and make myself a monster um, or actually taking a bike ride to the, to the, to the five and dime. I think I did that once to buy a, a board game. I just, I was very sort of um, soft, ineffectual, creative type. And all I wanted to do was just live in this fantasy world and stare out the window. And, and uh, I did a lot of staring out the window in, in, in school too. But, and the other thing, taking boxes and building forts and building, and uh, like, I think there were two or three years in my own house, the garage and also living room where my parents allowed me to do a haunted house for Halloween. And of course, Halloween was the perfect day from you know, like for so many people who love Halloween, I mean, who are into horror, I'm sure it's the same thing. It's like, I could just live there. Um, so yeah, a perfect day was, was, uh, and then watching a lot of TV at night, it was, uh, but I was not an athletic type. So I didn't want to go outside and pick up the apples and my, we grew up on what had been an orchard. And so there were a lot of apple trees in our yard. And my job when my when it was time to mow the lawn was to pick up the apples. And most of them I'd wait too long and they were rotten and they had bees in them. So that was that was great fun. But uh anyway, and then there was then actually okay, better answer. This is my final answer. A perfect day for Paul Taylor when he was growing up was going downtown to Red Barn Players, which was this children's theater group sponsored by the Hutchinson Recreation Commission. Um, and we did, we did Peter Pan at one point. Um, it was John Darling, not Captain Hook. Uh, we did, uh, we did a production of some Johnny Appleseed, a musical of that. We did uh, Spoopy Doof's Funny Bone. We did all these, it was children's theater. It was summertime children's theater. Those were the best days of my childhood. Um, when I discovered this group, um, when I was a early teen, maybe even younger, maybe I was 10. I don't know. That was the best time of the year. Those were the best days of my life, of my childhood life. Right, right. Um, we're, we're doing the theater and doing some community theater. I grew up watching my dad do community theater. And then I'm like, I want to try that. So I did and never stopped. So ah, that was always the best. My best days right. were in that, in the little, in the little, what do they call it? the little the Hutchinson little theater. And it was a former church that had been turned into a little, little stage. Great, great times. So what about films? Did, uh, were you watching films? Oh, I was watching a lot. Yeah. I loved movies. I mean, I, I didn't watch a lot of horror films. I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch horror films. I think that my parents knew me well enough to know that I, as a child, I would not have been able to handle it. I was, uh, I might've been able to, but I have a feeling they were right. I think I would have had nightmares. Remember when the family went to see the Omen, they wouldn't take me and I wasn't allowed to see the exorcist when it came out. Uh, but I did read the book. Um, but yeah, most, my dad, the first R rated movie I ever saw was, was Mel Brooks. You know, my dad took me and my brother to see, um, uh, to see blazing saddles. And that was of course, <laughs> you know, it was great. Um, but yeah, and, and TV, oh my God, you know, TV, just TV, 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 so much TV. Right. Um, uh, but I did, I did see a lot of movies growing up. Uh, so, you know, it was the age of, it was the middle of the age of Walt Disney animated features. So lots of those in the movie theaters, you know, choosing my favorite villain, which as it turns out is Cruella de Vil, if anyone is wondering. Um, of all of them, she's the best. But anyway, <laughs> lots of movies. The first horror film I actually saw, um, other than some Vincent Price at, in school with, on Halloween, but I didn't really consider it horror because it was like the abomin abominable Dr. Fives, which is so campy that it's not really scary. Although I... I did as a child see uh, the Raven in high school. Now that was, I mean, in grade school, that was a little freaky. I just remember, I think a drawer full of eyeballs. And uh, also my parents would, would not allow me to watch um, dark shadows. But when I did see it at the Hollingsworth's house, 
Um, those kids, the Hollingsworths and the Wells, they watched it every day. So I would see that and it did scare me. So I'm like, wow, I was a, I was not a tough kid, but my first horror movie was um, Trilogy of Terror and uh, it was on TV, Karen Black, of course, um, the three stories. And then the third one is with the Zuni fetish doll. And I was at home alone on a, yeah, on a Saturday night, everyone else was gone. I got my pizza hut pizza and I got my you know orange crush or whatever it was, Pepsi light. And uh, everyone else is gone. And I, this thing comes on Saturday night at the movies and I watch it. And the first two stories are like, Oh, this isn't scary. It's kind of creepy. But that, that thing. That was uh yeah. So Did you I think have- though what it, how it thrilled me was why I, I just seeked that thrill from then on, I think in horror films and stuff. Did you have a favorite actor growing up? Roddy McDowell was my favorite actor. Yeah. I just remember it because of, and it was because of planet of the apes. I just, and then Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman became my favorite actor with Papillon. And so I think my tastes grew up a bit when I saw Papillon. I'm like, Dustin Hoffman is a god, you know. Um, but I remember, I don't remember what year Planet of the Apes came out, but Roddy McDowell as Cornelius, I would, between classes, I would <laughs> go to the hallways. You know, we didn't, we're, we weren't always in the same classroom. We'd go to the next, you know, where the math teacher was or whatever. And I'd be, Walking down the halls like I was Cornelius. It was so stupid, so goofy. And I thought I was so cool doing that. And I know I just looked like a freaking idiot, but but I lived in my my crazy creative world. And then when the sting came out, my best friend Jeff Stiglitz and I, we thought we were the coolest when we would pass each other in the hall. I was like, yeah, hey, or anyway. anyway. <laughs> He's a great choice. I mean, Roddy McDowell, incredibly talented. Exactly. And, and just, think, just sweet. You know, yeah. you know that he was the sweetest man in the world. And yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, uh, yes. Talking to Chris Sarandon on the show about Roddy McDowell and the fact that he used to go around for dinner with him um, uh-huh. and some great stories. But I think one of my favorite performances of Roddy McDowell is Octavius, um, <laughs> Octavius Caesar. And because because you, you think, oh, it's an old horror movie, but it, and, and he's so missed out on the Oscar for that performance. Yeah, um, because Cleopatra. he's yeah, because he's he's got that vulnerability that he can't help but have. Yeah, you know. But on top of that, he's doing this this epic, this epic historical. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, 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 yeah an extraordinary thing, and you know, yeah. as you say, vulnerability, but wields incredible high. You know, is an extraordinary yeah. and is the winner at the end of the movie, basically. Yeah, and in and history. Can... Yeah. Oops, sorry. Should have turned off eBay. Um, <laughs> giving me, you're almost winning. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So you, I mean, you're. You mentioned your father was doing community theater and so on, but your yeah. grandfather was a trumpeter. He was my dad. My grandfather was in vaudeville. Um, eventually he worked in a hardware store, but um, it was the depression, you know, but he, he was a vaudevillian uh, comedian and a trumpet player. And so I think it's, I guess it's in my blood. If show business can be in your blood, they say it can. Um and then my dad, I do think my dad wanted to be a professional actor, but he simply wouldn't allow himself to be. So he put himself through dental school because he grew up very poor. He put himself through dental school instead and, uh, you know, raised the perfect family, um, the nuclear family. Um, and, but when I discovered it, it was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this only. So, yeah. Um, so I have this you- picture of my grandpa, this teeny tiny snapshot, and he's clowning around. It was on my refrigerator, but I've moved recently, so I don't know where it is now. I don't remember. I don't think he has the trumpet with him, but he's young, and he just has this look on his face, like he's Jimmy Durante or somebody. I'm like, yeah, okay. I I I see where I got it. The The urge to entertain, to make people laugh, all that. You know. So 
when did you first know that this is you what you wanted to do? What was that moment of saying, I can do this and this is what I'm going to do? I'm not sure. I think it was very early on. Um, I mean, I knew that I was going to, if I finished college, get a degree in acting and pursue it. I, but I don't know when I decided. Um, probably, I probably, probably doing children's theater when I was a kid, although you know, there are plenty of, there were plenty of people in my life who didn't want me to pursue that as a career because it's not practical and is not, you know, it, you're, you're, you're asking for possibly a life of poverty and the life of rejection. And that can do things to people, make them very unhappy. Um, but there was no talking me out of it. And I think that it was probably even before high school, um, I knew I wanted to, I actually wanted to be in the movies, but it's kind of a sad story. I'll make it quick. I just was discouraged at a very vulnerable age by my father to actually go into film. And uh, so I made the logical choice. Well, I'll just do theater instead. It's like, really, really pick the thing that pays the least. That's brilliant. You know? But uh, he was protecting me, I guess. I guess. I, I won't go there. I don't need to talk about that. Right. I'm fine. I'm not bitter. <laughs> Gave him. Yeah, well, it, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, it just depends. Yeah. If your parents, decide, you know, they want to protect you. You know, they want, they want, you know, to, they want to be supportive. And so on. I was they like, love you know, you. yeah, I mean, the deal I made yeah. with my parents was that I did a proper job for a year before going to drama school. Did you, where did you study acting? I, I went to Emporia State University, which is in Emporia, Kansas. So I went to a state school and uh, not the, you know, not the bravest choice, but I, I had a lot of people, I, I, I went there and I, I had a lot of people who I had known from, from my childhood actually, and, uh, and, and on who now taught there. And so I sort of had an in, but I did get a scholarship, an acting scholarship. And well, that was good. And that was, you know, that was great. And uh, I, I thought about applying at Northwestern, but I didn't do it. You know, I thought we can't have regrets, but we can think about what we might have done instead. You know, what our path might have been. But whatever. I am what I, I am. Sure. I, sorry you asked me a question like that. And it's like, well. Didn't make the best choice on it, but I did go to Emporia <laughs> State University. And then I dropped out to move to Wichita, Kansas um, for my first professional acting job. Actually, sort of my second, but um, to tour in children's theater, to tour with Wichita Children's Theater, which was under the auspices of Music Theater of Wichita, um, which was a kind of a big deal. Uh always promising my parents I would go back to school. So I, then I enrolled at Wichita State University and started taking a lot of dance classes and uh, got involved in, I only did actually one production in their theater department. I did a production of Chicago, the musical. Um, and then I just stayed there for quite a while. I did music theater Wichita. I did Wichita Children's Theater again, I think two more times. Crown of Town Dinner Theater. <laughs> And Wichita Community Theater. And let's just say Wichita is not really a theater town, but there's some theaters there. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's where I went to school. Everything becomes a long story with me. I'm sorry. Everything becomes a life, a life story. Well, life stories are good. I consider it. Yeah, yeah. that's what we're here yeah. for. Um, yeah, and I don't mind. Yeah, your answers are much shorter than mine. Trust me, um, <laughs> I've, I've literally been known to speak for twenty minutes on one question oh. and then go. Think, what What was the question again? Um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I judge yeah. myself too much to keep talking. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. what? Okay. Did nope. you... Don't say that. Stopping. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about um, dinner theatre and so. You obviously stuck with theatre because I mean, you ended up by going on to Broadway, um, yeah. doing the well, off Broadway. Off Broadway. Well, actually, no. You know, yeah, I will agree with you, Broadway, because I did do. I worked at the link at Lincoln Center, 
in a in a Korean opera called The Last Empress, which is a Broadway space. So I'm going to say yes, I did do Broadway, but more right. than that, I did off Broadway. Right. <laughs> For those of what, what's your fondest memory of that time of that kind of being young, being theater, moving <gasps> away from Wichita, going to New uh-huh. York? I mean, yeah. Well, I moved from Wichita to Dallas first, and then I moved from Dallas to New York. So right. there was some time, quite a lot of time in Dallas before I went to New York. But that's another story altogether. But but in New York, I think I think the best time I had, well, this was amazing. See, I I waited till I was in my 30s to finally move to New York. And and I thought I'm finally here. I'm gonna get you know, uh, there's this, the, of course, backstage, uh, n- the newspaper called Backstage, which you get weekly and it has auditions in it, EPAs and you go and you go and you audition. And you go to all, all these casting directors and you're going to these chorus cattle calls and stuff. And but I auditioned for a little thing called Aunt Chucha's Birthday. And it was written by Larry Pellegrini, who was the person who created Tony and Tina's wedding years before. So, and was a big success, you know, with the audience interacting with the actors and, and, you know, it's a certain type of theater, which is not my favorite because I'd rather just do a really good play on stage. You know, the audience is there, but they're not, you don't talk to them. So I've done a lot of those too, but they've made me a lot of money, like sheer madness and stuff. But um, so I go and audition because they're looking for an assistant stage manager slash understudy to Louie Nanny, who is the character. It's an Italian show. Louie Nanny is a character who is the entertainment at Aunt Chucha's birthday. So the big party, the reason for the party is the birthday of this matriarch of his family. And Louie Nanny is the entertainer. And he has like a three or four piece combo behind him. And he's singing all this like Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, fly me to the moon, all this stuff. And I got and find and and um, ASM understudying this the guy who had been playing Louie, um, and I'm like, this was so easy. I've been in New York for a month, and I'm already in an off Broadway show. Why did I wait so long? It's going to be so easy for me to be a star in New York City. Anyway, you know, beginner's luck is a real thing. I think you put out this energy, and it's like, yeah. Well, plus, I was perfect for the role. I was perfect for the part. So, so. This guy who'd been playing Louie gets an invitation to rejoin the cast of, I don't remember if it was Les Mis or if it was Phantom. I think it was Les Mis. He was going back because he'd been in the cast before. So he leaves the show. I become Louie Nanny. So suddenly I'm working on 42nd Street in this basement space. And there was Broadway, just like Broadway was um, two doors down. And singing this stuff for these New York audiences and just like hanging out with these Italian actors who are New Yorkers, like, oh my God, it was the coolest thing in the world. And, and then wonderful things really did continue to happen. The thing, and then, and doing, and doing the last Empress at the, at Lincoln center and, 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 and getting to go to, uh, to, to do sheer madness at, the Kennedy at the Kennedy Center in DC and then going to Mason Street Theater in the same show and getting to do in San Francisco and getting to do all these great things, these long running, you know, gigs and just unbelievably cool. But I would go out of town and I'd work at like a summer stock gig and I'd be paid to be so I'd join the I'd go to the gym a lot and I, you know, I'd get looking really good. And then I'd, I was in my 40s coming back to New York and having lots of sex because I'm so hot now and all this. Newark is such a sexy city. It's so sexy. The entire world is there. You have the best of New York. You have the best of the world and the worst of the world in one place. And of, of, and as far as creative types go, it's like, Oh my God, unbelievably gorgeous, creative people just everywhere. So I didn't choose just one, just one time, but. You asked what was that, but you know, so many wonderful memories and what ruined it for me was nine 11. Um, and then suddenly it colored my world a lot. So, but, so that was the worst time, but you didn't ask. That is completely understandable. But you mentioned earlier on that, you know, you had 
originally wanted to be in the film. So what was your yeah. first film role? My first film, I did one thing that was that was in New York. I don't remember the name of it. And I played a role called Creepy Guy. But that's weird because I went on to play another creepy guy, which, you know, it's the theme in my life. Um, I just remember I was on a set and I was an extra in a church. So that doesn't really count because I don't think it ever saw the, the, the light of day. Then I did another thing in New York, which also doesn't really count because I don't think it saw the light of day either. And I don't remember the name of it, but I had a speaking role in it and I watch it now. I'm like, it's on VHS. Oh, my God, I was terrible. I was a theater actor doing, oh my God, it's it's horror, it's mystery, it's the guys in trouble, you know, big eyes and stuff. Oh, terrible. But my first movie technically was Sin City. I mean, technically, my first real movie was shortly after I moved back to Dallas and I got an audition for Sin City. And I'm like, so I'm in, I'm in Sin City, which is like one of the coolest movies ever made. And then I started doing movies in, in Dallas, Fort Worth, Dallas, Texas, and, and Shreveport, Louisiana, and Oklahoma City, and all these places, and, and Austin, and all these places that surround Dallas, Fort Worth. And um, that's what led me to being here for Hellraiser Judgment, is because I was in Dallas, and the casting, it shot in Oklahoma City, and when Doug Bradley passed on the project, they needed a pinhead. The casting director in Oklahoma knew me. He cast me in many things before. Knew I was a weirdo. Knew I could could bring that kind of freakiness to it. Um, it's so funny. It's so weird how life works. So totally right place, right time. Dallas, Texas. Who would have thought? Right. Nah. Right. So. so were you obviously being a kind of a horror fan, you were aware of Hellraiser before you got mm. the hold to come in and. Oh yeah. Hellraiser was always my favorite of the eighties horror franchises was always my favorite. I mean, the creativity of the Cenobites alone is enough for me to just. And the fact that Pinhead speaks so eloquently and and the fact that it's about S&M, oh, my God, it's so twisted. It's so twisted. And it's not for everybody because of that. It's like, it's not like a pure evil character with a mask and a machete just killing people because they're having sex. That's not what it is. You know, it's uh, there was so much more to it. But the first time, the first scene, well, you were there. You know what I mean? The Chatterer and the <laughs> female Cinnabite. And, and then Pinhead, or I don't remember the order of when we see these characters, but when Pinhead and Butterball, and, but when Pinhead walks in, it's it, like many people, I'm sure, it's like, what is that? You know, just so, just the, the designs of these particular monsters were so out there. And I already loved horror movies. I mean, I finally got to see The Exorcist in college. And it's actually my favorite horror movie ever. Just, I just love it so much. But um, yeah, I've, I've been a horror fan forever. Now, I had not seen all of the Hellraiser movies. There were nine total yeah. before I came on board. I had seen the first four, I know for sure. After that, I'm not sure what I'd seen. Um, because they were all direct to video and other things in my life were going on. So, you know, um, but yeah, hardcore, excuse me, hardcore pinhead right, right, fan, right, right, right. you know? So just, I, it, it makes me believe even more that we do manifest our lives with our, with, we, we manifest our future, future never comes. It's always the present, but we do manifest our present moment. I don't know. You can believe that or not. You know, it's just, I like to think of it that way. This opportunity came along in my life when I had just gone through some serious bad shit and years of it and was sad and depressed, sad and depressed and uh, just not in a good place. 
And then I got a therapist and then I started working with the therapist and <clears throat> working on manifesting what I wanted for my life, <clears throat> which as it turns out was film roles, film work, just work, work, work. And then I got this opportunity to audition for first the auditor. And I forgive me if you've heard this before. I know a lot of people have, who've heard me talk, I've heard this before, but the first role I auditioned for was the auditor, which of course Gary Tunnicliffe ended up playing. And when I read the sides, the movie was only being called Judgment. They're keeping a secret that winds, you know, Dimension Films is keeping it a secret. We're doing another one to hold on to the franchise. Uh, we had to do one every five years. So, um, so the spiraling maze of horror, I just remember the description of it. I'm like, this sounds vaguely familiar. So I get the sides for the auditor because that's the first role I auditioned for, you know, a middle ma middle management, little weirdo, which Chris, the, the casting director, he knew I'd be perfect for it. Um, his first line is, ah, come in, Mr. Watson. We have such sights to show you. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? It's called judgment. I'm like, oh my God, if I get this part, I'm going to do a Hellraiser movie and I'll, I'll, I'll do a film with Doug Bradley. And, da -da -da -da. and of course that didn't work out. So, then I got offered the opportunity to audition for Pinhead. And my, and my gut instinct was, my learned instinct was, there's no fucking way I'm going to get this part. And that lasted for about five minutes. And then I realized, what have you been doing on your treadmill with your little creation board up here that you chant with basically while you're exercising and you work it and you're working it and you're manifesting and you're, you're you know, basically praying or whatever you want to call it to the universe, to God, or whatever it is. This is an opportunity. So when I realized that that's exactly what had happened, I decided to make it the best audition I'd ever done in my life. So I worked my ass off and, and I freaking got the part. It's weird. And, and my story is, yeah, that's me. That's, that's the story of that. Whatever the question was, I don't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was actually kind of interested in Sin City, but I, you know, I'm quite happy. Oh, to that's talk. right. Well, let's talk about Sin City. <laughs> I've talked. You know what? I've talked about Hellraiser and Pinhead so much in my life that we do not. But we're going to come back to because I have some more okay. Hellraiser questions. That I want to, okay. But so let's stick with Hellraiser for the moment. So, okay. You said you worked your butt off for the yeah. um, auditions. Presumably, this was the, with Gary. You had sides for Pinhead at that stage. Yeah, I got the sides. I got a private email from the casting director. My first audition, I took my pinhead action figure and puzzle box in a in a shopping bag because it was still a secret. And I walked into the room. I'm like, I know this is a Hellraiser movie. But anyway, <laughs> but then later, um, when they said come in for pinhead, uh, I got the sides. I was doing a play at the time. This is this story kind of blows my mind a bit. I, I was, <clears throat> excuse me. I was doing a play at the time called Martyr. The play was about um, religious, what is it? Uh, Something-ism. What is it? The, the ones who are so, oh, it's a type of Christianity. The freaks with the, I don't know if they're the ones with the snakes, but it's like, it's just, yeah, they, they, they rave and they, you know. It was about religious fervor. You know, this kid was in high in a Catholic high school and he was losing his, he was just like judging his mom and everyone because he was reading the Bible and he was interpreting it. So I'm playing this very creepy, <clears throat> creepy again, this creepy minister, basically a priest, if you will. When I get this opportunity to audition for Pinhead, I have the cast help me pick out new pictures. You know, what's the creepiest? What's the darkest? What's going to work for Pinhead? And I take my sides, I type them out in small my prop that I've chosen, because in the play, the, the director, who is a sadist, is making us sit on these benches when we're not in the action of the play. Pews facing away from the action so that we're always visible. So we have to sit there on these wooden pews through the whole play and then get up and do our scenes and then go back and sit down again. So I decided that I will use my father's Bible that, 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 that I took when he died. And, and I will put my script in there that I have to learn for pinhead. So I'd learn this, I'd learn it while I'm doing this play where I'm playing a priest. So the play closes. No, the play hasn't even closed. I do my mom. I, I, I learned it. I go in, I 
do the audition. They tape me. There's no callback. Um, and I was Gary's first choice. I was all these, all these people's first choice up the ladder at Dimension. But Bob Weinstein was at Cannes Film Festival. And apparently he couldn't get his phone to play my audition. So he decided to wait yet another several days to wait for Bob to actually watch it and finally approve me. And I get a text one morning. I mean, there was no callback or anything. No phone call from Gary. Just, I don't think there was a phone call from Gary until after I was cast. And it's just, just, just a text from the casting director saying, welcome to the movie, Pinhead. It was like, <clears throat> and then, and then, and then what began was my first conversation with Gary over the phone and then talking to him in LA when I went out for my head cast and talking about the drama that had unfolded with, with Doug Bradley. And also this, this rabid fan base who were going to instinctively hate me because I wasn't Doug Bradley and how I, I needed to just know that going in. And uh, so I knew that going in and then I just freaking got over it because I had to do my job. And uh, so that, but that's what the, it was very, when you come right down to it, the audition was very simple, but okay. So the pr whole priest thing. So I'm playing this priest. I get cast while I'm still doing the play. I fly out to LA. I think the play had closed. Um, I'm pinhead now. I get my head cast done. I stay in LA with my friend who is, uh, who, who's been in LA for years and he has an apartment. I'm staying with him and we go to the beach. I take my, I take my shoe and I still can't talk about it. It's a secret because we haven't shot yet. So it wasn't until Heather Langenkamp let it leak that anyone knew a Hellraiser movie was being made. But anyway, I take my shoe and I write pinhead in the sand real big. And then I get back and I take a picture of it with my phone and I post it. But you, you wouldn't be able to see it unless you were looking for it. It was basically a picture of sand but with the word pinhead in there. Nothing else. Just enjoying L.A. I don't know what I did, but it was I wasn't I wasn't really letting out any secrets. I say to my friend. After we had lunch, I said, can we go to a comic book store? I want to find a Hellraiser graphic novel. So we go to, he drives me to a comic book store. I find a Hellraiser graphic novel, the only one they had. First page, there's a picture of a priest who is giving last rites to a prisoner on death row. Turn the page, Pinhead breaks in and he destroys the priest. It was like, I mean, it's coincidence, sure, but. But I mean, the thread of that, isn't that crazy? It's it, wonderful. I love things like that. I, you it's know, it, wonderful. I, it's it just, a, you have to pay attention. To yes. Yes. I, I remember it being described in a book about Merlin that I would have read sometime in the 1990s. Yeah. It's defined as, described as walking with God. You know that you're on the right, these things happen. Yes, because yes. you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You've met, as you say. I mean, Goethe talks about um, basically the universe is waking, waiting for you to make up your mind. And when you um, make a decision, boldness has power, genius, and magic in it. I think is the most often quoted part of it. Yes, I, think you're, I you're, need to read. I want to read that now. What is it called again? Well, the the, the uh, oh. Goethe. Um, G A. I can't, I can't spell Goethe. G O E T H E. Uh, uh, is he Wolfgang? But Goethe. Yeah, look up Goethe. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Boldness has genius. But what, oh, the, what, oh walking with God. No, I can't remember the. Oh, Crystal Cave. The Crystal Cave is the name of the book. Okay. It's a story about Merlin. I cannot remain remember the author's name for the life of me, but I do remember this phrase. Yes. And it's all about Merlin. And that's and, a, that's enough. I'll yeah, find it. Yeah, because it'll yeah. because that that can you say that quote one more time for me? Um boldness remember. boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. And he's basically saying we all of us I think live on one foot. Or many of us live on one foot. You just, I'm not. What, what am I supposed to be doing? I'll just stand here, not making a decision. Basically, when you actually make a decision, then you take a step forward. It's either the wrong way. If it's the wrong way, oh, I've gone the wrong way. I'll 
change my mind. Yeah. I'll take another step. Hopefully but, you correct it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And sometimes, hey, you know, you can go many steps before you think, oh, God, I got this one entirely wrong. Bugger it. Having to go all the way back and I'll study it. Anyway, yeah. But not to bash this analogy. Um, yeah. So I, I think, <laughs> <laughs> so I do love that story. I think it's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful. It's so story. true. We it need, is, I need enough boldness in my life. I just, I can't, I won't go, I won't go into, well, I just, I need to get the hell out of Texas. This is what I'm saying. That's all. I came back to Texas because of 9-11. I stayed here. I discovered I had hepatitis C. I got cured of hepatitis C. I got to play Pinhead in a Hellraiser movie. Now what? Opportunity? Hello? I've got to move somewhere else. I've got to. I'm saying that right now, right here. I'm... I'm, I'm yeah, at a place I, 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 you're putting it out there, aren't you? People I'm talk free. about it. Yeah, you've got a the universe. The universe can't give you what you want if you don't know what you want. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yes, and I'm immediately thinking of South Pacific. How are you going to have a dream? How are you going to have, have a dream? How are you going to have a dream? It, oh, sorry, that's <laughs> so offensive. Yeah. But that's how she sings it. That is exactly how she sings it. Yes. If, Gosh, we've wandered way off Hellraiser. And happy thoughts. Happy, happy thoughts. thoughts. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've got to have a dream or how you're going to have a dream come, to, come true. Yes. How are you going to have a dream come true? Yes. yes. If you don't have a dream. Yes. How are you going to have a dream come true? So during you're there, you've done the thing, you've got all this, um, Gary's given you the warning of what. Yeah. Did the... I mean, Gary'd been around Hellraiser. I think I was looking it up today. He's put on the pinhead makeup like 140 times. You know, Gary is very experienced in the world of Hellraiser. Oh, yes. You mentioned, did you get a chance to meet Clive Barker at Texas when we were there? I did. I was sitting at my table and a friend of mine who is also a volunteer but I guess there are tiers of being a volunteer there. I don't know. He's been there a long time. He's got some power. I don't know. I think he might've been one of the people who was in Clive's room. Um, but he suddenly appears at my table on Sunday and he says, if you meet, if you want to meet Clive Barker, come with me now. And so I picked up, you know, I just was like, I'll be back. I ran, I followed him and he, he ushered me in, in front of all these people who were waiting to see Clive And I stepped forward and I got to meet Clive and he said, so you're the new pinhead. He said, yes, I am. Thank you so much. And I don't know what all I said, but he did say, so how was it working with Gary? I mean, it was a short conversation, but uh, he was so lovely. And I just was so, I just expressed nothing but gratitude because of course, without him, you know, without him. Yeah. yeah, Without him. We know. Yeah, neither of, neither of us, neither of us would be here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so, so yeah, I did get to meet him, not for very long, but it didn't matter. I just, no. I got to meet him, and I actually had him sign something, and um, it's this four tile set from the Clyde Barker store. That if you put them together, it's this drawing of Pinhead looking to the side. It's very beautiful. Um, uh, and so he, he said, I didn't know there was, they still had these. So he signed it for me. Um, are you holding it? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's, that's half the face. Cause I can't possibly that's hold ex- up four. Pieces. That's exactly, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly it. It's so beautiful. It's so well done, signed. isn't it? Yeah. It's good. Yeah. This, is, this is Clive's, one of Clive's original drawings of pinhead. Yeah. I know. And I love it so much. Um, and I, I'm so, I, I, Oh, I hit my head later. I'm like, why didn't you take Clive a Blu-ray of your movie? And I just didn't. I didn't say, here, watch this. I didn't do it. Oh, well, I hope he's seen it. Who knows? Who You know, whatever. Things I have no control over. Yeah. So, yes. but if I had to do it again, I would definitely have taken him my movie. Say, <laughs> please watch it. You might hate it. But Gary did it. Gary did it. It's a labor of love. He absolutely loves and adores you. It's a, it's a $350,000 fan film directed by the number one expert in Hellraiser films. As far as, you know, I don't know the script, everything, everything that Gary did with it. I just think it's, you know, I, I think that Clive 
might possibly appreciate it. I have no idea. I mean, I have, I have no, no idea, idea whether or not he's seen it or you know, I have uh, no idea. And and so on. But yeah. he um yeah, I watched it and I was found it very I I have to say, I thought it was really fascinating. I I like the whole That's good. I I, I I like the whole opening sequence. I like the style of it, particularly, and yeah. and the, the the form. And yeah, it, it's it's a. I think mean, it's one of the better sequels, you know, in IMDb scores and so on. It's, it's definitely yeah, 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 um, r- right up there. I have to say, the one thing that really ch- that really disappointed me is the sound of the chatterer. You can't hear the chatterer properly, but. I'm incredibly grateful that after 10 movies, the character that I helped create is still there. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was also some technical difficulties on the day of the Chatterer's close-up, where it's supposed to come forward. The teeth weren't moving. They weren't working. So there's that, too. It's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit disappointing. I see that's right. really interesting, which makes it sound as if it's, a mecha- if it's mechanical teeth. Where, of course, when, with me... They actually just attached it to my teeth, so it's me doing the chattering. It's, it's literally I can't do it. Which now, is, yeah, I know it's probably not best good for me to do it either. It's no. not like our teeth are young. <laughs> the older I get, the less likely I am to do it. Um, yes, yes, and it, yeah. But uh, hey, it was a very. Do you, you know, do you do you have people asking you to to chatter your teeth at them all the time? <laughs> yes, it's like, really, I'd rather so not. Sorry. My porcelains don't want me to. No, no. Just, just no, sorry, really yeah. sorry, but no. I went. Um, I went to the dentist yesterday, and he's explaining cracks and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah. Lifetime. Not being able to see a dentist for a year over lockdown is like, oh god, not, not, not good. Anyway, what I wanted no. to ask you about is bring us much more up to date before we do uh, the luggage in the crypt questions, which I'll okay. be asking at the end about. films and books and albums and so on before we get to that there are three projects i wanted to ask you about the first of which is a short film called the torturer which is written by my mate paul kane yes yes Yes. (laughs) from uh from his book nail it's in his book nail nail biters yes yes Um, how did that come about well it was as you, it was written by Paul Kane, I have these friends, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Manco and Catalina um, Carida. You've met them. You met them. At, they, they did the round table um, in the hotel room before, I think, on the first day of the thing, mm. uh, of the convention. At, but anyway, um, they're friends of mine. They came to me with this script and they said, we would like for you to play the lead in this. It's a short film. Uh, adapted by Paul Kane to be, I mean, from a short story. And uh, we, we have this company called Little Spark Films. And um, they do they do a lot of films that are reviews of new puzzle boxes. Uh, and they, they do other, they've branched out since then too. And they do other horror films. They do music videos. And I, and I said, sure, I'll, I'll do this. Um, it was, you know, on it's very low budget film because it had to be. And uh in hindsight, I wish that I would have been able to play the torturer instead of the tortured, but physically I wasn't right for it. The description of the torturer is this big, scary, hulking, you know, no, no, <laughs> not even with padding, ain't going to happen. So, so I basically got to be the victim um, of a torture porn short film. Right. It's not actually that short. They were going to make a short, but now it's, it's pretty long. Um, okay. And there's a lot of other people in it too, who are in horror makeup and just, wah. and it's basically this guy, Frank, what's his name? Frank, Frank, another guy's named Frank that I played. I don't remember his name right now. But the character I played uh, is in a horrible place, darkness with this hulking man with, with weapons. And, and he, torturing him trying to get the truth out of who he is andy andy brooks i think is andy brooks trying to get the truth out of andy you know but andy can't remember anything so and then andy starts having visions of these nightmarish uh other people in pain and impaled on things and stuff and it's it's quite it's quite the nightmare journey and uh not for the squeamish um and then there's there's a you know sort of a then there's an explanation at the end that I won't go into, but uh, it's gotten, 
it's gotten a lot. It has a lot of laurels on it. Now I, you know, it's, it's been submitted to a lot of, of festivals and it just won one, which is wonderful. Uh, you know, um, but yeah, I, I highly recommend it for anyone who really likes gore. Right. Um, and wants to see me in pain. Right. So there you go. Yeah. That's a selling point. It's hard yeah. to play that stuff though. I, I recently told another actor who was doing a, a horror film that uh, anyone, he sent me a role and said, play this. And I'm like, I wrote back and said, I really don't want to be killed or maimed in movies anymore. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, what am I doing? I want opportunities. So I, I did, I did do it. Right. Right. But yeah. But that's, that's no, what the is. torture is. It is hard. It is hard to play this stuff. It can, you know, you have to be careful of yourself and look after yourself. I mean, it is, yeah. you're going yeah. to dark places when we're doing these things and it's something to be aware of. Absolutely. Aware of. Yeah. Um, before I ask you about another couple of things that I meant to ask you about and hadn't made a note, you collect, you're talking about playing with dolls as a kid, yeah. action figures and so on. I understand you're a collector of horror memorabilia. Is that right? I absolutely am. Yes, I have a, I have a lot of action figures, and now it's more about um, uh, statues. Although I've cut way back because I have had to down down downsize uh, because I moved out of a house I lived in for for twelve years recently. Right. Um, but about four hundred living dead dolls. Are you familiar with the living dead dolls? No, I don't even have. I don't. I don't have any in this room. Which right. is weird because right. my whole house was just well, four hundred of them. Yeah, they're they're ten inch dolls, rooted hair, cloth clothing. They're plastic. They come packaged in a coffin. Um, I first saw series one in the year nineteen ninety nine or two thousand one in New York, Lincoln's Tower Records at Lincoln Center, and I was like, "What are you? I love you." It was five dolls in the series. And I bought series one that led to buying series two and series three, then four, then five, then six, then seven. Then we have the, uh, we have the variants. Then we have the glow in the darks. Then we have the offshoot living dead doll presents. Then we have, there's a pinhead, uh, three versions of pinhead. I mean, it, it's insane how many dolls they've done over the years. Finally, about a year ago, maybe two years ago, they stopped doing the series dolls. And now they're just doing living LDD presents, which is movie characters. <clears throat> those I'm not as in interested in, but they have opened a new door for horror fans. Now they buy living dead dolls, but really they are the, the movie characters specifically. So I have so many of these and I've started selling them because I don't really care about most of them anymore, which is good. I'm trying to free myself. Right. I feel like moving out of that house, um, has started that process, which is great. It's like, I couldn't ask for, a, you know, I, right. the, the universe just going, get out. And now it's like, I will totally get out. I will get out. And right. Uh, right. all right. my, most of my stuff's in a 10 by 10 storage unit and I'm selling it little by little. And uh, so, yeah, but other than that, action figures, toys, um, I love talking figures, I do have this one that is, uh, you know, legend of uh, darkness from legend and, you know, the Tim Curry character is, yeah, yeah. I think it's taller than 18 inches even, but it's wow. made by Sota toys and it talks and it's so heavy. And I just in moving discovered that I still had it. I thought I had sold it. I'm so thrilled that I still have it. <laughs> Tim Curry is my God. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Another so. incredibly, incredibly talented actor. Oh, now you incredible. were telling me earlier on about white tail. Um, yeah. Um, the, yeah. White tail is a form of deer that, that <clears throat> gets hunted during hunting season by men who own guns. So this is what I know about hunting. <clears throat> And about whitetail. So I get off because I'm not, no, don't have a gun, never have. And, but I get offered this role by this uh, director, writer, director who I've known for many, many years. He directed me in a, in a sitcom pilot many years ago that never saw the light of day, but he was always sending me scripts of other things going, look at this, look at this role. I want you to play this, but then there was, you know, let's raise some money. Anyway, I don't need to go into that. 
he sent me the script called Whitetail. He changed the character just a bit um, to fit me a little more because it's it's a thriller and it's um, it's the most it's the largest role I've ever played in a film. It's also the most vulnerable, the most vulnerability I've ever shown in a film. It's filled with horrible people who are real humans. It's, you know, it's a drama. It's a heart, pretty heart wrenching for some of these characters. Um, and then it turns into, uh Oh, here's three really bad men who would kill you for this, for this backpack of money. So everyone's suddenly after the money, but we're, we just went out there for a hunting trip. Me, my brother-in-law, his son, who is on the autistic spectrum, my sister, his wife has recently died of an overdose and it might've been suicide. So uh, he was a terrible husband, terrible father. So my idea is let's, Hey, Hey, let's go hunting. That will, that will, that will, you know, that'll be yep. a good thing to unify us, us three, us two men and this, and this kid who we can't get to talk because he's autistic, you know? So what a great idea. So, so we're on this, we're on this property and these, uh, there's a car crash. Well, yeah, that, that, it, we want people to see it. We want people to see it. Is this, I is won't this tell you released? Is this released? Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been, it's been released, uh, in, a, it's been in two theaters in Texas. It's going to be in Shreve, uh, wait, in uh, Oklahoma city. There's going to be also a screening in Shreveport and there was going to be a screening in LA. And most recently I've been told, Oh no, the promoters, way, the owners of the theater pussyfooted around way too long. It's probably not going to be in LA, but it is going to be released for sure on DVD and blu-ray and it right. will be streamable as well i don't know where it's going to stream right it's hard to it's 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 at this point hard for me to get details about that but it will be on dvd and blu-ray i'm so excited about it i want people to see it because it, it's it's introducing me in a totally different light and it's not going to be for everyone it is a it is a um what is the word it's it's a it's, the word is not dank or dire but it's sort of like those words it's uh, um it's a, what kind of world do we live in? Where I don't remember the word, <laughs> It'll but come. it is depressing. If we, if we, if we, let's okay. just say, yeah, okay. it's a slow burn. It's a, slow, it's a burn. slow burn, but then it becomes this chasing and, you know, firing guns and stuff. And, okay. uh, okay. I'm pretty scared through most of it because that's just who my character is. Uh -huh, but okay. I have, I do have some moments of bravery, which thank God. Otherwise, right, right, right. Point. Right. And that you met, yeah. we're talking about Gary Tunnicliffe, a lovely Gary Tunnicliffe. Yeah, yeah, um, we have. About uh, colorophobia. Colorophobia, which means the fear of clowns. Um, yeah, I have this friend, same one I stayed with when I went out to get my head cast done, who met Gary when I went to get my head cast done. Uh, John Paul came to pick me up to take me to his apartment. So met Gary, got to look at his studio, was like, oh, because he's a big horror collector as well, wanted to buy stuff. Um, uh, yeah, he he's a writer, director. I mean, he's a he's an actor and a writer and a producer now. Uh, he 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 got me cast in his uh, movie, Secret Toys, and also um, the other one is called uh, Roadhead which uh, can be viewed at any time by anyone who wants to stream them or whatever. You can find these movies. So he's written this other movie called Chorophobia. And uh, it's about clowns. It's about scary clowns because we don't have enough scary clown movies yet, you know. But he cast me in the role that he had intended to play himself, but he likes being a producer better. So he's like, I want to play Curly, the head scary clown, cannibalistic craziness and uh, i said of course yes i will i want to create my own monster i don't want to just play other pe other monsters who someone else has created i want my own monster i want to wear i want to do yeah. what i really want is to go to conventions and do photo ops in costume like so many can but i can't because how do you yeah. do pinhead well yeah it's and Doug does it. Yeah, and, yeah. Doug does it, but yeah. does got this team and this history. So that's yeah. a totally different thing. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it's about um cannibalistic 
clowns. It's it's a weekend getaway for these young kids and you know they go to this town this woman has a history in the town and this there's the there's a really nice i don't know if it's a mansion but her family's very nice house and and it's just it's just gonna be crazy and um they were looking for a director and i just said hello talk to gary he would be he i I mean reading the script it's like he doing the makeup and the horror and the gore designs and the masks that come off and then there's even more horror underneath and talk to gary so they talked and gary is now now he's a co-writer he is the director and he's going to do the makeup and effects of course he is so that sounds very exciting i know they're looking to shoot at march of 2022 Hopefully that happens. You know, that would be, they were going to shoot it last year, but of course COVID. So, so yeah. So that's, I'm really excited about that. Cool. So, all right. Well, I'm going to, we're, we're slightly over the hour, but I've just, I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. Blather on. Okay. No apologies, Paul. No apologies. (laughs) Never apologize. Um, Okay. That's what um, they say. Luggage in the crypt. So, idea is, what would you, you know, you're, you're about to take this wonderful big journey. We're going to give you a huge, huge pyramid. Take whatever you like. Um, what film would you take with you? Just one. Mm-hmm. Do your best. I've thought about this. I've thought about this so much. Young Frankenstein. it's perfect and can i also have the outtakes oh please (laughs) yeah young frankenstein is it yeah 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 i completely yes i can yes we only watched it i think last month yeah that's who i am that's who i am Yeah. yeah yeah what about a book um, what I was going to say now, I'm thinking maybe that's not the right answer. Um, there is no wrong, right or wrong. Answer. There is no. Okay. Um, I can't say that one because that would make me eventually it would make me insane. Uh, so I'm not going to say the power of now. No, no, no. Um, it would be. The Shining? Ah. The Shining? I think. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> see, I can't go back. I'm not that well read. I can't go back and say, well, uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, the Shining is a great choice. The Shining is a great book. And it, it, it is uh, a yeah, great book. It, I've read it. I've read it more often. I've read The Stand twice now, but I've read it more often than I've read The Shining, but still The Shining, I have fond memories of it from right. high school right? because I had a really cool drama teacher and we go to these forensics tournaments. Some people call them speech tournaments, but I did prose. I would do the prose competition and he, one year he's like, read the confession from looking for Mr. Goodbar. The confession from looking, the murderer's confession from looking for Mr. Goodbar was one year I did prose and then another year I did the shining where Danny goes into the room with the dead woman. It's like these great choices. So I don't know. I just has a yeah. warm place. Yeah. Yeah. In my heart. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's a, a great choice. What about an yeah. album? Some music, the Rocky horror picture show soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's also who I am. Yes. So, I, can, I can. Yes. I can see you doing the time warp in your pyramid. Yeah, singing all that stuff just yeah. all the time. Yeah. It just makes me so happy just from the opening chord. Oh my god! Yeah, Mike and Randy was. Yeah, I must have yes. seen on YouTube. Yes, yeah. No. What about favorite food or beverage? Um, that would be uh, cream of tomato soup with grilled cheese sandwiches and um, beverage lemonade. 
not lemonade. Uh, mm, coffee, coffee, coffee. I don't know why I didn't just say that. Coffee is yeah. my favorite beverage, but that's all I can drink. That's the only beverage I can have. That might be a bad idea. But well, yeah, yeah. But well, oddly enough, I think you're about the third guest who's chosen coffee. That we, I, I love we're, it. We're going to have baristas on standby in this pyramid for yeah, absolutely. Yeah, take what my little Keurig machine. Yeah. yeah. What about a piece of visual art? Um, it would probably be this sculpture that's right behind, way up here. I finally got this. I've been looking for one for years. It would be this sculpture of Vampira. Um, ah, it's a beautiful sculpture of Vampira. Very. I don't remember how many of these were created. I think maybe isn't she, it's just absolutely beautiful. Just beautiful. That's uh, usually just, beautiful. Yeah. 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 I think a, let's see. A thousand were made. This is number seven hundred fifty-five. They were originally sold for one hundred twenty-five dollars. She was still alive, but barely. You know. Uh, Myra Nurmi, if that's how you say her name. Um, they produced these. They sold them for one twenty-five, and now they just go for crazy amounts of money. But I finally found one that I felt that was a reasonable amount, and it just says it speaks so. It just speaks volumes to the whole horror. Just the cre- what she created. You know, it's TV. It's the original Scream Queen. It's it's just this. And it's this fantastic, and it's a tragic story. Her life is a tragic story. It's just, I don't know. I just love it. Plus, mm. I just, I love sculpture so much and uh, and horror. So there you go. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know? Those are great. It's, that's beautiful. That's yeah. absolutely stunning. Statue. What yeah. about a luxury? Um, a luxury would be, I won't say my car. Uh, a luxury would be. A bed is a, a bed's not a luxury. My luxury is you can have a bed if you want. If if you want, if you just want, you know, a, just a really. Oh, I know a really nice recliner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really nice recliner. If yeah. that's a luxury, it seems yeah. like a luxury to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you might as well be comfortable. I think that's, exactly. yeah, strikes me. And then you can be sitting, you know, reading your book, listening to your music and uh, watching film. Yeah. Can I take my cat? Can I take my cat? Well, it, my I cat? think, yeah. I mean, as long as the cat doesn't mind. Um, yeah. And, and the cat, and you know, it, <laughs> if it's a pyramid, then it's very much in keeping with the style, you know, Egyptian exactly. burial practices. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Paul. I love this. <laughs> Thank you so very much indeed. This has been it's, so fun. It's been my pleasure, Nick. It's been so much fun. My thanks again to Paul T. Taylor. Join me next week for some more stories from the world of horror, thriller, and suspense. And in the meantime, stay safe and well. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, with production support from Amanda Rome West. Composer Kevin McLeod, copyright Tea Time Productions. Music